you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. Your next witness. It's the government calls Mrs. Ruth Payne. If you would please, if you'd come forward, come through those doors, come up here and take the witness stand, if you would please. Now, I'd like to, you don't mind if I, if I ask you some uh, personal questions about uh, your interest in Russia, do you? No. Uh, you, of course, are not an agent for the C-I-A, are you? No. No, you see, you laugh. Yes, I do. You are not an agent for the KGB, are you? No. Are you laughing again? Well, you ridiculed me for no, laughing. No, once, I don't so mean I to do ridicule again. you for it. I just want to know if you find the inquiry amusing. What's up, everybody? This is your boy, Rob Clark. This is episode 90 of the Lone Gummin Podcast, Pains in the Arse. I have a very special guest returning to the show today, Miss Francesca Akhtar, Cold War historian and author. And we are going to be talking about Ruth and Michael Payne today. Uh, but real quick before we get into it, um, I wanted to mention uh, the passing of a great researcher, Mr. Dave McGowan. Um, he succumbed to uh, an aggressive form of cancer on November 22nd of this year. Um, and for those of you not familiar with Dave McGowan and uh, his research, he's you know he's contributed a lot to the uh, to the to the uh, moon hoax. Uh, he wrote a book called "Scenes from Scenes from Inside the Canyon" about the music scene in the Laurel Canyon and and all the crazy stuff going on there with with the Manson family and. Uh, and uh, drugs, and uh, just uh, a great guy. Um, his interviews are, are out there on the web. He's got a great website called Dave's Web um, that you should check out. Um, so I just wanted to mention that because, you know, I love listening to the guy. Um, I like the way he thinks, or I like the way he thought, and uh, he will be missed. So without further ado... I bring to you Miss Francesca Actar. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Lone Gummin Podcast. This is your host, Rob Clark. And with me today, and hopefully we get it done today, uh, is Cold War historian uh, Francesca Actar joining me from Italy. How are you doing, Francesca? Hi, Rob. It's good to be back. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine, thank you. Good, good. Um, uh, I apologize for the last time that, that uh, we spoke and it, things didn't work out, but we are going to get it done today. Uh, it's been requested by several people that we touch on the pains, Ruth and Michael, and uh, the possible roles that they could have had in uh, either babysitting or guiding, you know, things or making things happen a certain way. Um, and you wrote a really good article, I think, uh, 
that kind of highlighted a little bit of the pains and Michael in particular called the three minute in, in a book depository. Um, so maybe we could start there uh, with what uh, with what Michael was up to there. Journal, which is the DD Plaza Echo. Um, I've always been interested in pains, um, particularly Michael Payne, because I think, although Ruth is very interesting, and I'm sure we'll get to her later, um, I think that not so much attention has been given to Michael Payne. Right. But I think he does deserve some scrutiny because he also has some very interesting links um, to intelligence organisations. And also, what I the reason I wrote the article um, is that I was going through some FBI documents. And purely by chance, I stumbled across a couple that were telling this story of Michael Payne that was reported by two students who said that they had met this man at a cafe at the university. And these two students, these two people, were students at. Southern Methodist University in Dallas, and they reported that they had met this guy who used to eat lunch um, on Sunday mornings at the cafeteria, which was located directly across from the campus. And it's really, really strange because when you get to reading it, he apparently would strike up conversations with these students about Cuba. And talk about the way that the West was involved in you know, trying to get rid of Fidel Castro and the, the attitude towards <coughs> Castro, and basically saying that he was sympathetic towards Cuba. And what they what they also reported is that he one day struck up a conversation with them and said that he knew a man who was a, a former Marine that had been in Russia and that he briefly moved to Dallas and that his name was Oswald. <laughs> What's really interesting is what they said next because they claimed that he said that he'd met Oswald through another person in Fort Riot, but that he knew that Oswald was going to be taking a job in a book depository in Dallas where he had also been working, so where Payne had been working. And they said that the guy also said that he was a designer at Bell Helicopter Plant, which was located between Dallas and Fort Worth. And that, again, he had been also employed in a book depository. Now, this is very interesting because they said that this, this conversation took place in April. I think it's April or May 63. Now, if that's true, it kind of begs the question as to how Michael Payne could have known about Oswald taking a job in the book depository in April when he actually didn't apply for the job until um, October. Yeah, that's that's way early so, in, the, in the timeline there. I mean, it, they hadn't even moved their operation to Elm Street yet. Um, I think it was in the works, and they were, you know, upgrading the building to to, to accommodate. But, yeah, that's this is, you know, in the timeline of things, this is way, way before... Um, yeah. Any any of that so, was even thought about. So yeah, so that caught my attention. I thought that's yeah. strange. So I, I kept reading, and they didn't actually. I don't think they originally came up with his name. But what happened is the FBI went to interview. Well, one of them, uh, a guy called Ed Buck, who was a law student, and he didn't know. He said he didn't know this guy's name, but he gave a very good description of this man. So that he was about 35 years old, very slim, and about six feet tall, with black hair, blue eyes, and a long face. And so they actually, um, <coughs> he, he was re-interviewed two weeks later, and they actually showed him a picture of Michael Payne, who positively identified him, so that's interesting. Yeah. Also, there was another student with Ed Buck, who also said the same thing, um, but, but it's very odd because it was it was almost as if they didn't really investigate this properly. Yeah, well, um, I could see they, why they, they wouldn't want to. Well, exactly. This is the conclusion I came to. Because when it came to the other student, they sort of said, well, they didn't, they only had her um, term time address, but 
at the, which was at the university. But by the time they got around to going to interview her, it was the summer and she'd already left. But apparently they did have her home address, which was her parents' house. And it presumably, as I state in the article, that they made no attempt to contact her there. Uh, or if they did, why well, didn't they mention it? Nothing mentioned in the report. So, yeah, you know once what, you again, know. it's another example in the case of, of the FBI particularly not really doing a proper, very thorough investigation. And, and it begs the question, is there another... Yeah, and you know what it sounds like to me? Um... It sounds a lot like a banister operation, you know, like, I mean, I doubt that he was running Michael Payne, but it sounds like something that, that he was doing in New Orleans, you know, as far as trying to out these communists on, on local college campuses and, um, you know, like Oswald was handing his, his leaflets out, you know, and, and things like this. And a lot of people over the years have said that this is what Bannister was doing uh, in New Orleans. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, and I believe, I think it's either the James D. Eugenia book, the updated, his updated version, um, it might be as Scott, one of, one of the two, that mentions, and I think the original source for this was a, was a Dallas policeman that said that when they searched the Payne house on Friday, on, on sort of the afternoon of the assassination, that they found filing cabinets with, with names and addresses of communist sympathizers, so that is true, yeah does seem to suggest that they were not necessarily involved with the, invest- with the assassination because there is no evidence for that, but that they might have had a role, an intelligence role, um, to do with, like you said, outing supervisors. Yeah, no, this is, this is not, you know, Ruth Payne, her, you know, her first dalliance with, uh, I guess, being, or, or being in touch with like uh, Russian culture, I mean, I I, I I believe she was teaching a class on Russian at like a a local school. That's right. And, and, and yeah, I was just gonna say, I think it's I think it's really odd that you know her whole premise for inviting Marina to come live with her was so you know she could learn Russian. And uh, that's, that's exactly it. Why would she need to learn Russian if she was already good enough that she was teaching a high school class in Russian a story just doesn't add up yeah it doesn't make sense and then I found out uh, a couple weeks ago that she was actually paying Marina $10 a week she was providing her with food uh, medical care and uh, you know paying pretty much for everything for her you know for her and her kids and uh and paying her ten dollars a week, so it wasn't like Oswald had to really worry about her per se. Um, and it was kind of an enticing offer, I think, for somebody in Marina's position, where Oswald really wasn't home that much. Yes, absolutely. And I think really what's always struck me about the pains, and I think to anybody who has either studied the assassination case or who knows a little bit about how intelligence agencies work and how people were recruited, especially during that period, to spy on or to monitor people who had suspected communist sympathies. You would you would kind of accept her story at face value if you didn't know any better because it does seem to if you read the official version, it does seem to it does seem to fit that she was just a a housewife. I think. I think the the picture that's always put forward of her in the official story. She was just a innocent housewife, caught up in caught up in history, caught up in events. And I don't believe that for a minute because I think when you study it, you, you realise there's something else going on there with her. And actually, what I wanted to draw your attention to was that we discussed this before that she actually, Ruth Payne actually appeared on this filmed uh, mock trial that was filmed in the UK. Actually, it was filmed in London. I have no idea why that is. I don't know if that was some sort of a legal issue, but they they flew over quite a few people, including many of Oswald's co-workers, yeah. uh, including Harold Norman and Will Frazier. I don't know. Have you seen that? I have. I actually, I, I played a clip of of uh, the Harold Norman one. Um, just a little, like one, I condensed it down to like a one minute clip. I played it before uh, Richard Gil, the second part of Richard Gil, Gilbride's interview, uh, right at the very beginning. And uh, just to illustrate, you know, um, 
that something was very, very odd with these depository workers that day. But yeah, I, 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 I've, I've seen uh, a good bit of it, not all of it, but um, all the juicy parts. I've seen Frazier and of course Ruth and and Norman and stuff. episode so people can at least hear it but i would encourage everyone to go watch it because like you said it's very much a body language kind of a thing um but it is amusing to hear her uh the the interaction i've studied body language a little bit as a, an amateur because i find it very interesting and they do say that 95 i think 95 of the way we communicate with people is, is through body language and it's and it's very hard to fake is the other thing A lot of people like a lot of people like to to parrot that and and say that you know that he was the only employee missing, but you know that's been that's been disputed by a lot of people and uh, over the years and you know people that we know weren't there like Charles Gibbons wasn't there, um, various other workers weren't there, and, uh, but people love to say that and I think even uh, I can't remember who it was I was reading Larry Sneed's book in. Uh, it might have been Otis Williams who noticed it. There was maybe only four, four people standing around truly when he did that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of a joke that people cling to that notion that Oswald was the only one missing. I don't know I don't know who's, where that got started, but, you know, it's one of those uh, – it's part of the lore, I guess, that gets handed down from generation to generation and gets repeated so often people think it's true, but, uh, you know, it's not true at all. And, and <clears throat> excuse me, the more I've been talking to Richard Gilbride, <clears throat> you know, none of these stories add up with these workers, really. I mean, you got you got Jack Doherty saying he was on the fifth floor and then the sixth floor and then he came down. But you got the, the three black guys on the fifth floor that didn't see him. Uh, you know, they don't do anything. I think even Spence asked him um, in that mock trial, he asked Harold Norman. Uh, so you you heard a gun you you heard somebody firing a gun above your head. He said, uh, and, and you didn't you didn't run out of there. You didn't do anything. You didn't say, hey, there's a guy with a gun up here. You didn't do anything. And he was like, right. no, uh, you know, like like it would have been foolish for him to say anything. Like, hey, there's a guy up here with a gun, or do something about it. Exactly, and that's also the case. I've 
almost found Bonnie Ray Williams' story quite strange because it it can't be true. Either he's lying or he's mistaken. But if he says that he was on the sixth floor up until very recently, how is that possible? Because the shooters would have had to have time to get into position. So something's not right somewhere. Yeah, that that whole thing is is Which is, is an understatement, but. Yeah, and I was, I was like I said when I was talking to Richard Gilbride, he he brought out a lot of stuff that you know that nobody really likes to think about because it does go into a little bit of speculation. But you know when you try to parse out what all these depository workers, um, you know between their first day testimony, their Warren Commission testimony, uh, what they've told researchers over the years, what they told the HSCA. And none of it matches. There's a lot of contradictions and there's a lot of problems with all of it. I mean, you know, when you're talking about, you know, yeah. the, 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 the depository workers themselves, you know, and exactly what and they I were think, doing. Yeah, and I think Roy truly is another interesting character that I read. I haven't been able to really confirm it to any degree, really, but I have read or I heard a rumor that truly was uh, truly worked for intelligence during the second world war I'd, like, I'd love to know if that's true i mean i've really found a conclusive source on that but well i know shelley did he, i mean shelley admitted it in an interview in the 70s um that he was you know working for the cia or military intelligence after the war right. and jack doherty and bill shelley were both in the ROTC at Crozier Tech, which is like a technical high school over here, um, you know, before you before you go to college or, or enter the service, which they both did at the same time, and they both went. You know, I don't know about um, Doherty, but something always shook me funny with him because they always said how he was like mildly retarded or you know slow or special or something something to that effect, you know. But, you know, people, the Army doesn't take people like that. Um, you know, yet you have to be able to, to train them with a gun and, and trust them. And, and they just don't they just do not do that, you know. Well, yeah, talking about the book depository, just to go back a bit to um, Mike Payne and this, this story that he worked at the book, book depository. And you could say, okay, well, the students might have been mistaken. But actually, the FBI must have taken it seriously to a certain extent because they did actually go to interview Roy Cruley about this. And also, um, the manager of another book depository in Dallas to ask if, if it's true that Michael Payne had ever been employed by either company. But it's very strange because, again, the way they went about trying to investigate this is just bizarre beyond, beyond extreme because um, they interviewed Roy Cruley on the 9th of June, 1964. And uh, he said that he was the person that was responsible for hiring and firing all the warehouse personnel. So, but when you look at the, the report, it, it appears from Trudy's questioning that Michael Payne didn't work at the book depository. But when you actually go through the record properly, it, it's a bit more complicated because either the report was not written very well, and so they didn't actually mention it, um, or they didn't ask. It's one of the two, but basically it seems that the FBI only gave truly a description of Payne. Didn't actually say, well, did Michael Payne, as in the name, give him the name and ask him to check the records? Did he work here? Apparently it seems that from the report anyway, that they only gave a description of a man that matched Payne's, what Payne looked like and asked him to check his records. Now, that seems quite incredible. Why would the FBI not give an actual name to be checked? Yeah. Um, and I say in the article, either they didn't bother to investigate those properly, or they were trying to fudge on the matter and n not really go into it too much because they didn't really want to know the answer. But also, how do you how do you check uh, work records with a description and not a name? It's just all very bizarre. Yeah, and I mean bizarre, it, but that that yeah, job. And then had later I, on in the report. Uh, it just says uh, the report simply states that Trudy responded he had been within his employ within the past 10 years, so this would be 54 to 64, um, meeting the following description. 
in the description that I gave to Michael Payne. Then they don't say nobody of that name. Right. But then the really interesting, where it gets really strange with this story is that the report then also goes on to say that Truly said that the only possibility that the Texas School Book Depository may have employed an individual meeting description would have been 10 or 15 years ago and would have been summer, summer employment. And I say, well, should the FBI at this point not have actually asked if anyone by the name of Michael Payne had ever worked for the company, but it seems that they didn't, or if they did, they didn't put it in the report. Again, it's, it's, it's very, very weird. Um, and I think it was like the same thing when they went to interview the, the manager, Nancy Crowe, the other book depository. Nobody of the that nobody of that description had worked. It was the Lone Star School Book Depository had worked for that for the company in the past six years. Yeah, why would but why it, wouldn't they give them a name? I mean, it'd be so up. much easier to find work records, tax records, paycheck records for a name than just some exactly. random description. You know, I mean. That makes no sense whatsoever. But where it really gets strange is what I actually did. I kind of wanted to dig a little bit through this. And what I actually found was there there are records of Michael Payne's employment history that are in the Warren Commission. I can't remember the exact number, but I was in the two um, afterwards. And the really witness, like this could be a coincidence, but I checked from the information available. Michael Payne's work history, just just on the off chance to see if the period of time that truly said, oh, somebody of that description might have worked in the book depository matched up. And actually, you know, it does. There, there are two gaps of time that fit when, well, there are two gaps of time in um, Michael Payne's employment history when there's a gap between, he either uh, left college, between leaving college and start, starting a job or think the other one was when he left the army and it's very odd because those gaps in time do fit with the 10 to 15 year period that could just be a coincidence because i have you know i do not have any other proof but i just thought that was interesting yeah, it's definitely odd. I mean, because you, you think a job like that with, you know, uh, basically minimum wage job, menial job, a very labor intensive job, you know, would have a high turnover rate. You know, especially over the span of 15 or 20 years, you know, there's, I, I just don't see how somebody could remember, you know, somebody that might have worked there 15 or 20, you know, 10 or 15 years before, you know, in the, in the, in the, without a name, you know, it just makes no sense. Exactly. This is what I found very, very strange. And the more I looked into these reports, the more I thought this just does not add up. There's something odd here. But more on Michael Payne, uh, there's some more FBI documents about him. And again, it, it doesn't add up because there's a couple that, that Michael Payne took Oswald to do a meeting of the um, American Liberties Union, which right. is Research Southern Methodist University in October 63. But then in his Warren Commission testimony, Payne also said that he had attended attended a meeting of the John Birch Society, so in November of 63 now, we couldn't get two organisations more different. And it doesn't make sense as to why he would be attending both of these, but he was actually questioned as to why he, he did attend the meeting, and he said that, well, it wasn't because I was in sympathy with their beliefs, but I just wanted to better understand their reasoning. Again, it, it just seems very odd that... Yeah. Michael Payne, who is a member of the ACLU, but that he would at the same time be attending a meeting of the John Birch Society, and also him and Ruth would be mixing with the the, the wealthy right-wing Russian community of Dallas and, and people such as Warren Shell. So, again, discrepancies that just don't make sense, unless you're looking at it from the, the angle that we are and the researchers are, then it does make sense. Right, and we're talking about like the handoff, I guess, from Demorne's Shield yeah. to to the Pains. And I always, man, I always thought it was odd, you know, the, just the whole setup that uh, I guess that the Pains had, uh, where you know they weren't together at the time yet. You know, Michael seemed to be making enough to, you know, 
let Ruth live on her own pretty much without working and, and pay for a house and kids, but they seem to get along just fine. Like there's no reason for their, their yeah, sudden breakup. Convenient separation. Yeah. I mean, there's no, no apparent reason for it other than the fact, uh, to accommodate Ruth taking in Marina. I mean, I, I you know, when, 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 Yeah, uh, and when you look at, it, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was when you you know when you look at it from the perspective that, you know, that Ruth is is kind of indirectly responsible for you know Oswald getting his job at the depository. Uh, she's direct, you know, directly responsible for Oswald having yeah. to come home on Thursday, um, because she didn't want him there over the weekend because it was her kid's birthday. So she said, you know, if you're gonna come, come on Thursday, not Friday. She's really right at the center of everything. And the other thing that always strikes me about Ruth Payne, when you really think about it, where did where did all the incriminating evidence against Oswald come from? Yeah. Her garage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was reading. So she, so she's, yeah, she's not just the uh, innocent housewife that she likes to make out. Um, interestingly, two years ago, I, I was in Dallas with a group of um, British researchers. And we went to actually see the pain house because it literally just opened. I think it was the week before, and um, they let they they allowed us to go and um, have a look around. And it was before before like we got to see it because we explained you know we were only there for a few days, and uh, they were they were very nice. They were very accommodating, but uh, it was very much the official history. And we had a guy that was like it was charming, but it was very much you know, in the official line. And from what he said. Uh, Ruth Payne came out of retirement, I like to say, came out of spook retirement to actually help them with uh, the, the reconstruction of the house inside, what it looked like at the time, because it's exactly how it was, and I think they even have some of the furniture that is perhaps not the original, but the replica, so, but it looks exactly how it would have looked, and it's quite, it's quite weird because um, as you're going around, you've got all the um, photos photos of her in the kitchen and her in the room there. and Marguerite in the kitchen with children and uh, it's it's quite creepy but it's very much you know Ruth Payne was this patriotic housewife who trying to help Marina and all this kind of thing yeah I can't remember where I was where I read it if it was in D. Genio's book or if it was in Joan Mellon's book um but there was a story about, of course, this is after the assassination, but I think she was down in, in Central America. Uh, I don't know, doing what, you know, like kind of Peace Corps type stuff or whatever down there. And that just about everyone knew that she was CIA and didn't want to have anything to do with her, didn't want to talk to her. Um, I remember, I've, I've read this story, yeah. It, 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 it. Yeah, like they were very leery of her. Uh, and I guess for, for somebody had a good reason, like they, they had found something out about her or, you know, things were getting out because of her. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, and you know, another thing she, she, she does the, uh, she does what I like to call the Buell Frazier, uh, where she doesn't really talk to researchers. Um, That's you know, right. she might come out. I actually tried to contact her about 10 years ago. Somebody I know got another fellow researching. I don't know how they did it, but they got her her email address at the time. So I actually I didn't really ever expect to get a reply, but I thought I'll try everyone to lose. So I just wrote her a nice yeah, then... I guess, email. I didn't really say that I was a um, conspiracy person, but I just I know, just said something like I was in the UK and I was interested in her story, but I hadn't heard back from her. So wasn't a surprise. Yeah, I think she showed up like in the mid '90s at uh, at some. I think it was like a Cuban uh, like JFK conference in Florida when she was living in Florida. Yeah, I think I think it, it might have been Eugenio telling the story that it was back. You know, when all these uh, I think it was Escalante was 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 coming out with the, all the the Cuban files on you know from the assassination and they had this. Uh, get together in in uh, florida 
you know, to kind of talk about it all and present it all. And it was, oh, she was at that conference, was she? yeah, she kind of showed up, you know, it wasn't like a public thing, you know, like it was only like a, you know, you had to know somebody, you know, to kind of right. get in there. But, uh, you know, she just kind of showed up and everybody was like, what the hell is she doing here? <laughs> you know, uh, kind of thing. Right. And, uh, yeah, it was just very weird. But yeah, like, you know, she doesn't talk to researchers. She's, she pretty much minds her own business. And, you know, I always thought it odd too, that, you know, everything that this, this woman, Ruth Payne did for Marina and her kids, um, that after the assassination, Marina didn't want anything to do with this woman whatsoever. That's right. Yeah. And I think so it's because, Mar- yeah, I think. Well, there must be more to the story than has officially been. Yeah, I think I think you know somebody got in Marina's ear and was like, "Look, <laughs> you know, this woman is nothing but trouble." You know, and uh, you know, Marina might have realized that 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 Ruth might have helped facilitate the, the, the way things turned out, you know. But, yeah, if we, I think she showed up at James Martin, her, uh, Marina's attorney at the Times house, a couple months after the assassination, and she had some belongings uh, for Marina, and maybe I think it was some presents for the kids. And uh, Marina didn't want to see her, and Martin pretty much told her, just leave your stuff by the door, thank you, have a good night, you know. Right. Uh, yeah, just odd behavior for somebody that, you know, supposedly it was your friend and it was, it was doing all this stuff to help you out and was there when you had your baby, uh, you know, was giving you money and giving you a place to live and then all of a sudden, nothing, you know. Yeah, definitely doesn't add up. But when you look at the whole, when you look at just Bruce and Michael Payne, the whole family, on both their sides, that they, they have families that are, that are involved, that are connected to intelligence or have very powerful connections. Oh, yeah, we I actually was going to quote from um, Greg Parker's new book, um, the second part of uh, Lee Harvey Orton's Cold War, because he actually has uncovered some information and he mentions Ruth Payne's sister unfortunately I'm away on holiday at the moment and I didn't bring up in the business so I don't have it to quote but again I'd urge people to read that because that's excellent and Greg's a really good good researcher that's available on Kindle um, and he mentions her sister and her, her links uh, her, her probable links to intelligence which the, the stuff that he's uncovered I don't think has really been written about before but also, when you look at Michael Payne, <clears throat> he had some very interesting connections, and, and really weirdly, he's also actually linked to the Texas School Book Depository, not only through Oswald, but his uncle. Um, because it was in the uh, Harrison Livingston book, uh, I think it's the, the Far Right and the Murder of John F. Kennedy, that he says that. Michael Payne had a rich uncle, I'm just quoting now. Michael Payne had a rich uncle in Dallas, uh, which was oil man Eric Schroeder. Across the hall from Schroeder's office in the first National Bank building was the office of J. Harvey Lewis, who was Roscoe White's attorney. <laughs> and Livingston then says, almost all the powerful Dallas oil men of this period had a lawyer, had as lawyer, had a lawyer or two in an office adjacent to theirs. And the presence of Harvey Lewis across the hall makes it likely that Lewis was doing a significant amount of legal work with Schroeder. Schroeder, now deceased, had major connections to the Wynn Murchisons. The Dallas City Directory entries for 1939 to 1946 showed us clearly. Schroeder's company was sold to the Wynns. Schroeder's boss was John Lucy, who was a major business associate of D. Harold Bird, the owner of the... Texas School Book Depository, so it's kind of like you can full circle yeah. back to that. Unbelievable. And, and of course, D.H. Bird was the creator of the Civilian Air Patrol, uh, which That's Oswald right. was a part of in New Orleans. So there you go. <laughs> everything just fits and links together. It's quite amazing. I always find that everything seems to link back to everybody else at some point. It it's is. It's kind of like that six 
it's degrees of separation sort of mean that goes around but you do really find that for the assassination yeah I mean it seems like you know that that Ruth was kind of taking care of Marina keeping an eye on her because it would make sense um, because at the time the FBI was really interested in defectors or travelers to Russia that were bringing home these Russian wives and you know, it would it would stand a good reason that they would want, you know, at the height of the Cold War, to keep an eye on these these Russians that 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 you know that come back with the defectors that, you know, they're married very quickly. You know, her uncle's the head of the the. Uh, Absolutely, know. especially when you consider which is the other major thing that, for anyone that thinks the official story is is, is correct, just a few things would make you should make make alarm bells go off in your head. Just just the fact that if you think about it at the height of the Cold War that Oswald who supposedly defected was just allowed back into the country yeah. with a Russian wife and he wasn't arrested when he showed up in the US. He he wasn't questioned, nobody met him and said, Well, you know, what were you doing? Yeah. Nothing. He was just allowed to come back in. Now now this is at a time when you have to remember people who were even suspected of knowing somebody who might be a communist where people were, were being blacklisted in Hollywood and people were, were, were targeted, let alone somebody who supposedly defected and gave away secrets was just then allowed to come back into the US with a Russian wife. That, that, should, that, should, that doesn't set off a major alarm bell in your head. Yeah, and I, mean, I think that's what Hostie was mainly checking on. He, you know, I don't think he was really interested in Oswald per se. I think he was more interested in, in what Marina was doing. And, and also, yeah, you have to remember that I'm sure you know that Marina, Marina's uncle, was in Russian intelligence. So, and I, and I, and I know there there are people who believe that she may have had some intelligence wrong. I'm not sure about that myself, but. Well, I mean, it would make sense, you know, because, I mean, it, it, it kind of makes sense from the, looking at it like, you know, because she was, she was, uh, I think she was trying to get with Robert Webster first, who was another American defector. And then, of course, you know, she gets close to Lee Oswald and, and uh, it would make sense that the Russians would want somebody close to him to keep an eye on him, uh, to get to know him. You know, it, it, it makes sense. And, it, you know, it makes sense that the Americans would be interested in in Marina when she gets back and to have somebody kind of get close to her, like Ruth Payne, uh, you know, and kind of figure out what what's going on there. Uh, because it's not out of the realm of possibility that Marina could have been some secret super agent and, uh, you know, came over here to, you know, do God knows what. But... Uh, you know, I think it wasn't. I, you know, I, I just don't see it as something sinister. More, more. Actually, I don't see it as something more sinister than, um, you know, her kind of keeping an eye on Oswald when he was in Russia, and they just happened to, you know, hit it off. Maybe they fell in love, you know, or she just got pregnant and couldn't get out of it, or whatever. Who knows? But yeah. Um, no, I, I, I tend to agree with you on that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any. Even if she did, I don't. I don't think there's anything particularly... Yeah, because, I mean, after they moved back as, here... As, as regards the assassination, I Yeah, I mean, after they moved back here, you know, it wasn't like they, they set up a, a, you know, a house with a white picket fence and had this great family life, and, you know, they were kind of going in two different directions, and um, it doesn't seem to me like they were, you know, in love, and, uh, you know, despite the fact that they were just had a baby a month, you know, a month before the assassination... Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, maybe Oswald got hit to the fact that, you know, he kind of knew what she was doing. Maybe they told him, you know, Hey, look, they're going to try to get somebody close to you. Um, just, just roll with it and, uh, you know, do your thing and, uh, you know, get out of there and, you know, it's something we'll never know unless, unless, you know, Marina comes clean. And I, yeah, I don't think she will really say much more now I, I don't think I, I've known, I know people who have tried to contact her that have, that have actually known her somewhat in the past and, and have tried to contact her again but I don't think they 
really good in here, which I can understand because. But yeah, just get back to the pains for a second. You know, I think it, I was talking about you know Ruth, and it, it seems like Michael, you know, was kind of uh, kind of trying to be buddy buddy with Oswald, and you know, like I said, like you like you were saying, you know, taking him to some of these meetings and some of these uh, rallies and and things of that nature, and uh, you know, because they were kind of if you know if what Michael Payne was doing uh, at Baylor was anything like what Lee Oswald was doing at Tulane, you know, it stands to reason that these guys would have, you know, something in common. And I cannot get over how much these guys kind of look alike. Um, you know what I mean? That is another very interesting that's, point. Yeah. That's very wild. The, the, the other interesting thing is that um, linking Oswald um, to Michael Payne is that when, after Oswald's arrest and his address book was found by the Dallas police. There's a really weird notation in there. Well, there's, there's a few, but one of them, it said um, it had written in it, SMU Hillcrest. Now, um, at Southern Methodist University is often referred to as um, SMU. And Hillcrest, well, that's very interesting because Hillcrest, there's a Hillcrest Boulevard which was directly across from the campus. And the SME website, I, I looked it up, states that the university is bounded by Hillcrest Avenue to the west. Now, this cafeteria where Michael Payne met the students and often ate was also near Hillcrest. So that's very interesting. Um, and another thing, Oswald's former landlady, which was uh, Mrs. Bertha Cheek, which is Erlene Roberts' sister, she lived at 5901 Hillcrest. And during her Warren Commission testimony, she said that she had actually rented rooms to a number of SMU students. And she also said that she knew Jack Ruby. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's very odd. And, and, uh, and actually underneath that notation in Oswald's address book, there's on oh, the second line, there's the word bank written. And that, that's, that could perhaps be some reference to one of the meetings that was held by the bank, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is in, I think, again, it's an FBI report that's in one of the 26 volumes, and it mentions one of the student, one of the Cuban uh, exile group meetings. It was the DRE, which was the Cuban student directorate, and that's the one that Oswald is reported to have attended, and that was held by the bank. So, I just wanted to perhaps a sort of reference to that. Yeah, I mean, what it sounds like to me is, you know, if, if Michael Payne was doing this stuff as early as April, you know, then he was probably doing it before this, too. And, you know, you don't have Oswald doing it until he actually gets to New Orleans in the summer. Um, and doing it, yeah. you know, probably either on his own or for Guy Bannister, um, for all, from what I've heard and the research I've seen, it's, it seems to me like Guy Bannister was doing this kind of stuff. But these right wingers, they, you know, they, they had a lot of ties between Texas and New Orleans, or you know, Dallas and New Orleans and uh, Florida and in California. There's like a, a right wing nexus that kind of curves through the South there, where a lot of these people knew each other and a lot of these people traveled a lot and. Uh, to each other's states and attended these rallies and meetings and um, you know of course their agendas fit hand in hand with these anti-Castro Cubans you know and uh, you know it all kind of makes sense um, so maybe maybe yeah. maybe Oswald was influenced by what Michael Payne was doing and kind of wanted to do the same thing in New Orleans another interesting thing about New Orleans is that Bruce Payne this was September the I might have the date slightly wrong, September the 8th maybe. Uh, it was kind of early to the September at least. But Bruce Payne actually took, drove Marina to New Orleans when Oswald was there. And I just find it very interesting because I think she, she says she was there, she, this is something that she mentions in her testimony, she says she was there like the weekend or something. And, but, you know, you don't know what she actually did. Now, I'm very interested in what she did, because I wonder now, this is key, my speculation, but I do wonder if she was actually doing if what she was doing that week. She says something like she was helping them settle in. I just wonder what exactly she really was doing and 
whether, like you said, she had any links to people like um, Bannister and perhaps whether she would have, it's impossible to know, and this is just me kind of thinking aloud, but whether she would have met up with any of those kind of people, I don't know. Yeah, well, she was there for what three weeks uh, at the beginning when when uh, she initially drove drove them to uh, New Orleans or drove Marina to New Orleans um, to help her, you know, get settled and set up. I think she was there for three weeks. Um, I think so. You know, which was that, I mean, that's a lot. What would she be doing all that time? It just seems that the whole settling in thing is again very very convenient because. It's at a very significant time when you're looking at when you're looking at the timeline, and yeah, it's just shortly before he really comes back to Dallas, and I and I wonder if she had anything to do with that. Personally. It's quite possible. I mean, it's you know just it just all seems so a little too convenient. You know, just the timing yeah. of everything. The uh, the scenario of, of you know him getting a job and you know just just everything and I'll tell you something interesting Francesca that I read earlier today that I hadn't really thought of before is that possibly um, I, of course you know Oswald was was you know creating this AJ Hydell alias okay um, that was tied to the uh, Fair Play for Cuba committee that had ordered this gun and this rifle in, you know, the AJ Hydell alias and, you know, just about everything found at, at his rooming house was, you know, tied to, or could be tied to AJ Hydell and not Lee Oswald. All his Oswald stuff was at the Payne's house. And somebody was theorizing earlier that maybe, um, you know, Oswald was, you know, kind of creating this alternate persona uh, for the purpose of, you know, pinning it, pinning the assassination on this phantom person, you know, Alec Hydell, and uh, you know, creating his own little legend for Alec Hydell, you know, with and with, you know, ordering the rifles and and staying at these places and being this pro pro Castro guy and. Who knows? I, I don't know. I was just, I'm just rambling, but I, I just thought it was an interesting, something I hadn't really thought of before. Oh, that is an interesting view. I, yeah, I, 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 mean, I haven't thought of it from that angle before, but I guess it's entirely possible. Yeah, I don't know. I was just, I just thought it interesting. I'd throw it out there and, uh, um, because I hadn't really thought about it like that before. This? Uh, well, this guy, uh, on, on on Facebook sent me uh, a paper that he had written where he kind of theorized that that was what was going on. Um, and it was Tom Tommy. Did, I don't want to murder his name. It starts with a D in the book group. But uh, you know who knows. But I'm sure it's been I'm sure it's been theorized by other people in the past. You know, I think people have been through damn near every scenario possible when trying to figure this thing out in the past 52 years. Yeah. I mean, the other thing with the pains is that they are usually significant, and they they still are because their tax returns are still classified. That that could actually be also because they're still alive because I think there's some sort of that if somebody's still alive that they can't release them is what I read when I, when I originally looked into it but, but then again you have people who are dead like Oswald and um, you know other records from people that have long been dead and, and they're still not released so I I don't think that when they do eventually die that they will be released either I looked up some of their records in the um, Search engine of the archives, you know, the JFK database, and um, I think from about the early 50s, sort of right through the kind of assassination period, all their tax records are, are classified. So. Well, I'm sure Ruth could. I'm sure Ruth could release them on her own if she so desired. But. Uh, right. And I, I think. My, I doubt that's going to happen. 
yeah, me either. And Marina, since she was since she was his wife at the time, she she actually controls Oswald's uh, tax records, and I think it was Mary LaFontaine got permission to get them uh, in the '90s from Marina, but the only one that can get them is Marina. You know, she just can't send a note like to the teacher and say yes. Uh, yeah. Mary can. Yeah. <laughs> or close relative that has to request them. Yeah. Right. So I mean, these people could could definitely clear this stuff up uh, if they wanted to, but uh, you know, I don't see it. I don't see it happening anytime soon. Um, but yeah, that. So you know, the pains. You know, just like Buell Fraser, just like. You know, a couple other people related to this case, they seem to be, they seem to want to be looked at as innocent bystanders that just something horrible just happened to, you know, they just happen to be touched by this horrible history, you know. That's, at least that's the way it comes off to me, you know, that they're, they're, they're just, they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time and it could have been anybody, you know. That's, that's the position that. Yeah, Reese Payne very much, much likes to project it again with the, the house, which, which is now owned by the museum, by the, the city of Birdland. That's, that's definitely the case. I actually do wonder, though, whether, for example, that <coughs> the Dallas police and perhaps the FBI actually had some, maybe, perhaps had some suspicions about the payments, because I don't know if you know this, but there are actually... Dallas police documents from the criminal intelligence section which show that planes were actually under surveillance and this is after the assassination for a few years so as late as 1966 there are documents um, that report you know who was visiting the house if a strange car was seen outside the house and also when they moved where they moved to now it's quite odd because why as late as 65, 66 would the Dallas police be interested still keeping an eye on the planes unless perhaps were they suspicious about them? Probably so. I mean, plus, you know, Garrison was starting his thing in New Orleans and I know she ended right. up having to testify, or you know, at that, at that trial. Um, you know, it's just, you know, it, if, if we're they wrong... Are, they, yeah, they are obviously significant because to the extent that they were monitoring them, they were under, they had them under surveillance, so there must be a reason. Yeah, I mean, that this the whole thing stinks from top to bottom, and you know, you never know. I mean, if she ever Googles herself, uh, you know, she <laughs> I could, wonder if she has. She could possibly hear this someday, or somebody could direct it her way, and you know, all I gotta say is if you know Ruth Payne ever hears this. That uh, you know, she could clear a lot of this up. You know, if she oh, it would be fantastic if she was to just talk. But again, I, I really don't. That's, that's gonna happen. Yeah, but at a certain point, you know, she, you got, she's you never got, gonna she's never gonna say what we want her to say. I mean, which is like the truth. But well, you never know. You never know. I mean, there's always that possibility because it seems like the, the people closest to the to the to Oswald at the time are still alive. You know, you got Bill Frazier, Marina, Ruth Payne. You know, these people are still alive and re- I guess relatively young. I, you know, because they were young at the time. You know, they were 19, 20 years old at the time. You know, I think they're yeah. You know, it's you know, it's always possible. So Ruth, if you ever hear this and you want to clear things up. <laughs> Shoot me an email at the Gummit Podcast at gmail.com and we'd be happy to that talk to happened, you. That would be headline breaking news. You'd have to post everyone. <laughs> I won't hold my breath on that. Uh, yeah, I won't either, but, you know, hey, you never know. I like I like to think that, so, you know, maybe someday somebody will, like that I do these shows about will hear them and be like, uh, what's this guy talking about? I got to set him straight. Yeah. So maybe. we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> but is there anything about the pains we didn't get to? Just trying to think. Uh, that's it. Yeah. It's covered 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, were they just innocent bystanders in history or was it, a, you know, were they, uh, I guess, glorious babysitters, you know, uh, that kind of steered. Well, well, I would say if anybody listening who isn't sure is don't believe us, do your own research. Because I think when you do your own research, which is what you should always do, um, that they say, trust but verify. Um, you should never believe anybody unless you, you've been able to look it up for yourself. But I think once you do, you realise that <laughs> the, the official story regarding the pains just, just does not add up. Yeah, well said. And, and, you know, when you apply a little logic and reasoning to not just one small incident, but, you know, that whole span of time, that, that, that nine months of time that, that the pains were around the Oswalds and look at everything, you know, from beginning to end, it just, it doesn't sit right with me, you know, and, uh, just from everything I've read and, 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 and the documents, it, it, it yeah. I mean, that's, that's where I stand on it. And I'm, I know you feel the same way. Uh, but everybody, like she said, everybody out there, just do your own research and then see where you stand and, uh, yeah, just check it out. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Good advice. But life generally, I think. Well, yeah, not, not, not just this aspect, but all of it. Um, and, uh, that's why we're still here, you know? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Francesca, so much for joining me. And hopefully this sounds a hell of a lot better than the last one we did. Uh, I've been trying to get this. We've been trying to put this together for a couple months here to, and uh, to get it back on yeah, track. <laughs> well, we finally made it happen today. And I thank you so much for joining me from lovely Italy. You're welcome. It's, it's been great to talk to you again. So I hope to, I hope to do it again soon. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Um, yeah, man, this year's almost done. I can't believe it. It's flown, hasn't it? It has. I, it, it's it's true what they say that you know the older you get, the faster time flies, and that's the truth. Yeah, I'm finding that out as well. Yeah, <laughs> I feel you. All right, Francesca. Well, thank you so much for joining me, and I will talk to you soon. Head over to tlgpodcast.com, and I will put up a link to Francesca's wonderful article. Uh, three minute in a book depository so you can uh, read it for yourself and check it out uh, it's, it's always good to read it because there's much more detail than we could talk about here and uh, references and others and uh, other things and uh, but anyway just stay tuned and I'll be back next week and uh, thank you Francesca for joining me from your holiday no problem and people, the some bitches in a can beam up the satellite down directly to your ears. This is your boy. Peace.
right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only.